1 Thessalonians 4 is our scripture lesson. We will be there in a minute or two. The famous passage in Ecclesiastes says, to everything there's a season, a time to be born and a time to die. Now, we don't much like thinking about that time to die part. And so as a result of that, uh, a lot of us are uninformed or ignorant about what happens as people die, what happens at the point of death, and sometimes we're even uninformed about what really happens to believers after death. And that's really sad because there's good news for believers after death. Heaven is on the other side. Now the Thessalonian believers didn't much like talking about death either, and so Paul writes to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul has two goals in this passage of scripture. He does not want us to be uninformed. The King James uses the word ignorant about what happens to believers after death. And consequently, he doesn't want us to grieve as though we have no hope. Now, I need to take a minute and make sure that we understand something. He does not say we do not grieve. Anytime somebody tells you, well, you shouldn't cry when somebody dies, you have my permission to rebuke them strongly in Jesus' name. The Bible never says believers don't grieve. He says we don't grieve like the people who have no hope. In another passage, Paul called death an enemy. And we understand that. In our humanity, we understand that. And remember, one of the most famous verses of the Bible is Jesus wept. And you may know the verse, but you may not know the context. It's when he's at the tomb of a good friend of his who has died. And it says, Jesus wept. Yes, we sorrow when someone we love dies. Yes, we grieve. Yes, we cry. And the closer the relationship, the greater the grief is going to be when that person dies. And there can exist simultaneously joy that that believer is now with the Lord, while at the same time we are in sorrow because they won't be here to be a part of our lives anymore in the here and now. 
as you know, in, in my chaplaincy work, I've been around a lot of death and dying. And so many times I've heard people say, oh, she wanted to live a couple more months so that she could hold that grandbaby that's getting ready to be born. Or they just really wanted to make it to see the person graduate. It is possible to simultaneously have joy that they are in a better place if they're a believer and they are present with the Lord, while at the same time we sorrow for us and the grief and the pain that we feel. However, that grief, that sorrow, if they are a believer and you are a believer, is different than the sorrow of those who don't know Christ. And I can testify again from my chaplaincy experience, there is a difference. Being in a room where someone has died where no one is a person of faith and being in a room where someone has died and the group of Christians are around that brother or sister in the Lord who has died and to hear them talk about, oh man, now she's up there with so-and-so and so-and-so and she's seen Jesus and she's seen her family and we're going to get to see her one day. All the difference in the world. And so Paul says, we sorrow. Yes, we do. Don't ever minimize or diminish that. However, that sorrow is mixed with hope because of what Paul teaches us in these verses. Now, before we get into the passage as such, he uses the word sleep a few times, and I want to make sure that we understand that. He's not talking about the soul being asleep. There are some who teach that when you die, you just kind of go into a state of sleep and you don't go to heaven yet or anything. You just kind of, there. no, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So he's not talking about the soul being asleep. It was just a term they used, not just Christians, other people used in the first century to describe because, you know, you know, I mean, you've heard people say, oh, they look asleep, you know. It just, it's, it's just the way we, they looked at that. Warren Wearsby puts it this way. <clears throat> the body goes to sleep, but the soul goes to be with the Lord, Philippians 1. When the Lord returns, he'll bring the soul with him. He'll raise the body in glory and unite the body and soul into one being to share his glory forever. So, let's ask some questions today. First. What do we know as believers that changes the way we can look at death? Now, it's important that Paul does not say in this passage, here's some ideas I think might be the case. No, he says, this is what we know, verse 15, according to the Lord's word. <clears throat> there is no stronger authority than according to the Lord's word. We have God's word on this. <clears throat> Here's what we know. Christ died and rose again. He says, we know that. We believe that. That's our assurance. That's why we talk at, at Easter time about not only is Easter important because Jesus rose from the dead, it's important because he's the first fruits of our resurrection, and first fruits means more to come, because we too will be raised because we know Jesus was raised. So we know that because Jesus died and rose again, we will also. 
1 Corinthians 15, 17. It's really impossible to talk about the coming of the Lord and death and dying and resurrection without going to 1 Corinthians 15. You want one chapter on the resurrection, that would be it. But he says in verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins, then those who've fallen asleep in Christ are lost. We know Christ died and rose again. We know, secondly, Christ will return. He talks about those who are still here under the coming of the Lord. I do not know the significance of the three sounds that will accompany his return. He talks about the loud shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. We're most familiar with the trumpet. Uh, I don't know the significance of those three. I haven't found anybody in my study that really knew. Uh, it just that's what's going to happen. Those three sounds are going to happen. And then the dead in Christ will be raised. Verse 16, the dead in Christ will rise first. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, Christ is the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. I had never thought about it in this way. In my, in my study for this lesson, uh, I found somebody that said the resurrection of the human body will be like the growing of a plant from a seed. That the flower isn't the same as the seed was, but it's the continuity of the process. Our dead bodies are the seed, and our resurrected bodies is the flower. I kind of thought, oh, that's kind of an interesting way of looking at things. But I've mentioned 1 Corinthians 15, so let me read to you, starting in verse 51. It's in your notes. You can download the notes. The link is in the comment or description section, and follow along with this passage. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. There's that trumpet again. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable. The mortal must clothe itself with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal has been clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died and rose again. He's going to come. The dead will be raised, and then we will rise to meet them. Verse 17. The phrase typically is used, caught up together with them. It's an interesting word. It's what we commonly call the rapture. When we talk about the rapture of the church, this is the event. It's when Christ comes back in the air, the dead in Christ rise, living believers rise with them, and we meet the Lord in the air. Now in a couple of weeks when we get to chapter 5, We'll talk about the second coming when it's when Jesus actually literally comes back to the earth and set his feet on the Mount of Olives, will establish his throne in Jerusalem.
But this event in chapter 4 is what we commonly call the rapture of the church. When Christ comes back to take us away, to be caught away. And that word rapture, you say, oh, it's not in the Bible. That's correct. The word rapture comes from the Latin word, which in the Latin translation from the Greek New Testament was the word that was translated for caught up. So that's where rapture comes from. It's easier to say the rapture of the church than it is to say the catching up of the church. So this is what he's talking about. We will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air, and then there will be an eternal reunion, and we will be with the Lord forever. That sounds like Psalm 23, doesn't it? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That eternal reunion with Christ and with our loved ones who have gone before. Now, in Philippians chapter 1, and I put the verses in your notes so you would have them there to follow along with me, Paul, talking about the death of a believer, uses the word depart. This is a tremendous passage. Philippians 1, starting in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Now, part of the reason Paul could say to die is gain for the believer is that he understood what death was to a believer. And he describes that in the word depart. And this word depart is a fascinating word. You probably know that the New Testament was written during the first century when Greek was the predominant language of the day. It was written in Greek, not some kind of a heavenly language. It was written in common, ordinary, daily Greek language, which helps us when we study the words that were used in the Greek New Testament because we can study how they were used in society of the day and it gives us a depth of meaning to what Paul may have been talking about. For instance, this word depart, it's one of the most fascinating words you can study. It was used in several different arenas in the first century. Sailors used the word depart uh, when they picked up their anchors so their ship could set sail for another port. It was a nautical term. And, and that's a beautiful picture of what death is for the believer. A ship pulling up its anchor and setting sail for its heavenly harbor. It was a military term. This word depart was used by soldiers when they pulled up their stakes, folded up their tents, and moved on. Now, we know that Paul was a tent maker, and he talks a lot about our physical bodies being like a tent in the sense that it's only a temporary dwelling place. And one of these days, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. One of these days, the battle will be over. 
and we can pull up stakes, fold up our tent, and the battle is won. It was a legal term. The word depart was used in the legal system when a prisoner was set free. Now, Paul, when he writes Philippians, is in prison. And he doesn't know if he's actually ever going to literally be set free or not, but he does know that as a believer, the death process is a process of being set free from the shackles of this life. And the older we get, the more we realize, you know, something about like the, the prison, you know, of, of the shackles of pain and sorrow and uh, sadness and all of those things that can act as a prison, if you will. But Paul says, for the believer, we're going to depart. It was also an agricultural term. Farmers used the word depart to talk about at the end of the day, when their work was done, taking the yoke off of the oxen because the work is over. So you think about that. What is death for a believer? Well, one day, like a ship, we'll leave this harbor and go to the heavenly harbor. One day, like a soldier, our tent will be folded up and the battle will be over. One day, like a prisoner, we'll walk free through the door. One day, like the beast of burden, the burdens will be laid down. That's death for the Christian, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But let's look at it from one more perspective. What are the blessings that are waiting for us after this life? To die is gain. I want to talk to you a little bit about heaven. Uh, I preached a sermon many, many years ago called Whatever Happened to Heaven. Because it used to be that's everything everybody preached about was heaven because we wanted to get out of here. Well, then we got a little more comfortable here and we didn't talk so much about heaven. Uh, but, but I want to just remind us about heaven. I preach to you regularly about how to live life on this earth. Let me just take this Sunday and remind you about heaven. They all begin with R. I, I don't think that was on purpose, but it just comes from the verses. What's waiting for the believer after this life? First is rest. <laughs> Revelation 14, verse 13, they will rest from their labors. You may remember, probably not, but you may remember, early in our study of 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about work and labor. And we talked about the difference between those two words. The word work is just the word for ordinary daily work. And the scripture says our works will follow us in heaven. But the word labor means that labor that wears you out. The fatigue, the exhaustion, the effort, with that word labor has the idea of trouble and toil. You know, and we all understand that. We all, you know, we all know there's a point where work becomes labor and it just wears you flat out. I saw a meme this week that says, I feel like I'm already tired tomorrow. You know, we, we understand that feeling of the exhaustion and the struggle and the toil. That's labor, and we will rest from our labors when we get to heaven. I don't think we're going to be lazy. I think we're still going to be serving God. I think there'll still be work for us to do. 
but there won't be that labor, that toil and trouble and exhaustion. That's good news. <laughs> they will rest from their labors. When we get to heaven, we'll receive our reward. Revelation twenty-two twelve. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he's done. And if we wonder how detailed that is, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, if someone gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, he will not lose his reward. God's keeping track. One of the challenges of, of living in this world is that so many times we go the extra mile and nobody notices we do a little extra deed of kindness. Nobody says anything. Now, I know we're not supposed to do it for people to recognize it, but it's nice when people recognize it. You know, you like it when somebody says, thank you for making that extra effort. And, and, and I've heard people, I've heard these conversations, and nobody ever said anything to me about this. I did this and this and this and this. Nobody even said thank you. I understand that because we're built to, to, to want that affirmation. God keeps meticulous records down to giving somebody a cup of cold water. And one of these days when we get to heaven, we will receive our reward. And, you know, there are some people, I don't want to be behind them in line because their reward's going to take a while, you know. Uh, but it, it's just the rewards that will come because God notices down to giving somebody a cup of cold water. So if you've been doing good and being diligent and being kind and nobody has said thank you, just hang on. You're not home yet. I remember hearing the story of a missionary who was returning from decades in a, in a foreign country spreading the gospel. He happened to be on the same ship where Theodore Roosevelt was returning from one of his big game hunting expeditions. And when the missionary landed and Theodore Roosevelt landed, there were bands for Theodore Roosevelt and parades and everybody was just, you know, he's back, he's back. And the missionary just unnoticed just goes on his way and, and he's tired and he's saying, Lord, I don't understand this. I've been living for you. I've been away from home. I've made all these sacrifices. There's no band for me. There's no parade for me. And he says, God said, but you're not home yet. When we get home, capital H, home, our reward will be waiting. And there will be rejoicing. You know Revelation 21.4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. No more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things will be done away. Boy, there's sorrow in life. There's sadness in life. But heaven is a place of eternal joy, eternal happiness, no sorrow, no sadness, no tears, no tragedy, no heartache, no heartbreak. Oh. And it's a place of residence. John 14, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, you may be also. I don't know what it's going to look like. If I had my preference from what I know on the earth, I would like to have the ocean in the front yard and the mountains in the backyard. 
you know, so I could go to either one. Uh, but who knows? When we get to heaven, who knows? You know, if gold is the pavement, heaven's going to be okay, you know. I don't know if it's going to be a mansion. I don't know if it's going to be a room. I don't know. But if Jesus is building it, it's not going to be shabby. And we have that residence that he's prepared for us. And best of all, what's waiting for us in heaven is our Redeemer. Revelation 22, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. His servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. The greatest thing about heaven is that Jesus is there. And we will finally get to see Jesus. And our faith will become sight. And all the things I've preached about, and we've read about, and we've sung about, and we've thought about, and then some, the half has never yet been told, will be waiting on us. But the old song says, all of its beauty and splendor I'm longing to see, but Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. So what? It's all good about death and dying in heaven, but what, what difference should this knowledge make in my daily life? Paul tells us as he wraps up 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Oh, can we do an amplified version of that? Let nothing move you. Not a society that's lost its mind. Not $10 a gallon gasoline. Not 28% inflation. Let nothing move you. Why? Because we know what's waiting on us on the other side. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And in our passage in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, encourage one another with the words that I've taught you about what's waiting for the believer after death. Don't grieve as those who have no hope. Yes, we sorrow, but we have hope. And that's good news. Ken Wiest, who uh, had an expanded Greek New Testament and word studies, uh, listed about five different ways that this word phrase that we used, caught up, is used uh, in, in the Greek language. And one of the meanings is to move to a new place. So verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will move to a new place together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There's a group that's a couple of years old. It's called Southbound. You'll find the link to this video in the comments and description section. Um, and I love the, the concept. It's from this move to a new place. It's called Address Change Notification. The group is Southbound. Please make sure you click the link and listen to it. And we're going to put the lyrics up on the screen. It is not fair for me to preach a sermon about heaven and not tell you how you can get ready. The Bible says that we're all sinners, we're separated from God, but God loved us enough that he gave us his son 
to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And when we confess our sins and accept Christ, ask him to forgive us, to come into our lives, that prepares us for heaven. Remember the thief on the cross said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So if you're not sure you're ready for heaven, I want to encourage you to just pray a prayer, something like, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I know Jesus died for my sins. Please forgive my sins. Make me the person you want me to be. Help me live for you. Just a prayer, something like that in your own words that comes from your heart that prepares you to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. I encourage you to do that if you've not done that yet. Father, thank you for the assurance of heaven. Thank you for that assurance that for the believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So may we rejoice with that. May that give us perspective, Father, as, as we live life here, that no matter how old we get on this earth, it's just a blink of the eye when we compare it to eternity. And Paul, who went through so much more than we've ever gone through, said, I consider that the sufferings of this world aren't even worthy to be compared with the blessings of heaven. So may we live with our feet firmly planted on this earth as citizens of this earth, being the salt of the earth and the light of the world, but may we always also remember our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. And as you leave us on this earth, may we do everything we can to help others find their way to you. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and give you his peace now and evermore. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being with us today. You're dismissed.